Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your favorite podcast, Shine in the Light. Andrew Chilton here with my good friend, Ro and David. Ro, welcome. I'm on the podcast, and this isn't even my favorite podcast. <laughs> wow, okay. Forget what he said. And then we have a special guest today, David. We introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, guys. Glad to be on here. First pod experience. So Ooh, okay. Uh, David, what we got. what's the most interesting fact that the audience should know about you? Ooh, that's tough. Just put me on the spot. But I have biked from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. How many miles is that? A little under 2,000. All right. Just so you know, I got you to beat because I biked 3,000 miles across Europe. Sorry, that was not You're a really that guy. I made it a competition. Be not that guy. That, guy. Yeah. that is so cool. I could not bike across the U.S. though because I think it'd be too boring. Just being honest. What's wrong with you? Bro, I mean, because in Europe, you're like, oh, 15 miles, here's a village. to stop for coffee and get a pastry. United States, I'm like, 60 miles to go, and there's more uh, cotton in Texas or corn in Iowa, you know. Just saying. Just being honest. That's well, okay. Hot take. Yeah. Hot take, hot take. And, and David, what's the least interesting fact about you? Like the most boring, plain Jane thing? I am wearing some slacks and Colhans right now. Oh, like okay. A, like a typical Dallas. Fit it in Dallas. Guy. All right. And Ro, what's our icebreaker for the day? What are you reading right now? Both of you. What, what, like, what are you reading right now in the Bible? And then what do you think in you know quick little summary what God's been teaching you through that? Oh, I, th- I thought I was going to talk about another book. You said you clarified it. In oh, the Bible. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about that book. Too. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Dave, what you got? You want me to go first? Go yeah. first. Uh, I've been in it, first, second, third John. I'm flipping to it right now. But in first John... Love this. I hadn't really noticed this before, but in 1 John 5, 4, he says, because everyone who has been fathered by God conquers the world. And this is the conquering power that has conquered the world, our faith. So it's not money, power, um, not our time, not these things, but our faith in God can overcome the world because, I mean, we do get to live forever. So ponder on that verse. Go look at it. 1 John 5, 4, just God has been making me think about obedience and how really the most important thing in our life is our faith in him as our Lord and our Savior. Yes. That's good. Um, so I've been doing a little Advent study with my CG, Ooh. and um, yesterday the passage was on uh, the Passover lamb, so Exodus 12, um, and it really explained, so it was the origin of the Passover connected to Jesus as the Passover lamb. The first thing John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus, this is uh, John 1, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And that audience that heard John, that immediately send them back to the Passover, this, this celebration they've been celebrating for, you know, hundreds of years and that their ancestors, uh, that, that God created. And um, it's just so cool to see um, Jesus is that lamb who uh, who took not only the sins and not over not only uh, that God passed over back in Exodus, but he takes away the sins of the whole world of everybody who places their trust in him now. Um, their, their sins are forgiven. So it's just so cool to see that. Uh, you know, how the Bible is such a story. And, and as, you know, followers of Jesus, we need to know the entirety of the Bible. It's such a, it's such a cool story to see, man, how, how connected the Old Testament, the New Testament is the Old Testament, and uh, just how beautiful 
the story of God is. Yeah, it's one big picture that points towards Jesus, mm-hmm. um, forward and backwards, you know, all throughout it. Yeah. And that was Advent, you said, this time leading up to Christmas as we celebrate and focus on that. What an awesome time to do that. Yep. Thanks for sharing that. I am currently, are you hearing like a weird thumping noise? You know what that is? Am I, is, am I just going crazy? I think I'm going no, crazy. No, I heard a thumping noise too. Okay, regardless, I'm reading the First Kings right now, and I think it's cool because um, you have David, who you have Saul, who is mediocre. Then you have David. Saul was first king of Israel. Then you have David, who is pretty great, um, had a lot of personality flaws, but he was a decent king. Then he had his son Solomon, who was the, the king of Israel at their apex in power. And then after Solomon, you just have a string of mediocrity that goes on for decades. Mm. Um, and that's really what first kings is mostly written about. After Solomon dies, it's mostly written about the mediocre kings that we don't name our kids after. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's true. Average Joe's, average Joe's. How many, how many people do you know named Ahab? You know, that's a poor name. But don't do that. But just saying. Um, so there's a string of mediocre kings, and it goes back to at the beginning of 1 Samuel when Israel begged God for a king, and God gave them a warning. You should not ask me for a king, but they persisted. They really wanted a king because they wanted to be like the rest of the world, and they wanted their own government. They didn't trust God to be enough to govern them. They wanted to govern themselves, and then you see what happened. You see the consequences of that. You know, They had a string of terrible kings, and then they get conquered, and things don't go well for them. And I think there's a there's a lesson there that when we give control of our life to something other than God, media or Mediocrity and chaos eventually happen at some point. Mm. I, think that, I think that's the overarching theme of First Kings. Facts. Yeah. That was really good. It's really cool to see how we each have, which different parts of Scripture, learning something different, right? And just because, and I could go with the same passage of Scripture you guys are in, and I would see something different as well. Mm-hmm. Just how the Word of God is living and active, and that's why it's so important that we digest it and dive into it, spend time with Him every single day, not just digesting a podcast or a sermon, but actually spending time with our Heavenly Father. Yeah. And we are back talking about um, Beatitudes again this week. Um, last week, we got to talk about the first two. Um, anyone remember what those are? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh-huh. And blessed are those who mourn. Dang, so wow. good. He's got a good memory right here, right? Well, I also have it open in front of me. Don't tell anyone that, okay? Uh, and the second one was going to, today we're talking about verses five and six, where it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That word meek right there kind of rhymes with weak. What does it mean? Let's talk about that first, guys. Uh, that one's a really confusing one to me because when you say blessed are the meek, that makes me think that God is telling us to be weak and pathetic. Mm. And uh, I actually don't think that's what it's saying because the word meek that he's using is actually the Greek word praus. I don't really know how to pronounce it correctly. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly either. I used to do a Spanish accent, so but I'm anyway. not good. Uh, it's, it's the word praus, and in the Greek, that word was used to talk about wild stallions that were domesticated and trained for use in the military. Wow, okay. Um, and so I think what the word meek is in that situation is be dangerous but disciplined at the same time. It's really talking mm-hmm. about discipline. Um, like we, we kind of talked last week about how the Beatitudes kind of talk about the character of God. Yeah. And I think when you say Jesus was meek, it doesn't mean that he was weak and pathetic because he created the universe. He was nothing. He was anything but weak and pathetic. <clears throat> but then in that scene on the when he's being crucified and everyone's mocking him, if he wanted to, he could have sent down lightning from heaven into that situation in 10 seconds. But he didn't do it. He had yeah. overwhelming power, but he showed restraint at the same oh, yeah. time. And so I think when it says blessed are the meek, it's, it's having the ability to cause damage, but also showing discipline and restraint. Mm, that's really good. That's good. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, I think of a gentle and like a humble spirit when I think of meek. Um, and yeah, as we know, the Beatitudes, uh, you know, they embody, they're embodied perfectly in Jesus. He, he is all these, these nine uh, sayings in a, a man. And I think of Isaiah 53, um, where it says that uh, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, 
yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep for its shears is silent, so he not did not open his mouth. Um, it, it's just a spirit that, as Roe was saying, like he could have cleared that whole place. He could have risen to heaven right there. He could have did whatever he wanted besides being on that cross. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. He submitted himself, and it says uh, somewhere in John that like he... His, he laid down his own life. Nobody took his life. He laid down his life. That's just the definition of meekness. It's, it's a gentleness, a hum, humility. Um, he still was in perfect control of that whole situation. Yet uh, he, uh, because he loved the world so much, like laid down his life in meekness, in gentleness. Um, and I think that's that's a it, you know, meekness is perfectly embodied in Jesus, and it's that gentleness, that discipline um, yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah, I like that word. Uh, was it disciplined? You said or devoted? What word did you disciplined. use? Disciplined. Disciplined, yeah. I mean, like the idea of a stallion. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. Um, that hates like a tame stallion. The stallion's a really powerful thing, but when you're not directing in the right direction, you know, it's just all over the place and it, it's not being productive. It's not really bringing anything about. But when you put it discipline and put it in one direction, you're being steered. You're like, oh, this brings about fruits. This bring, he can till the ground. He can be used in war. He can be used in all these different situations. Um, and that's what means is like really submitting to God in that. Um, and I like that image of the cross too that David mentioned because Jesus was gentle there and meek, but he was also being bold, right? It took a lot of boldness to say, you know what, I don't have to die, but I'm going to willingly do that. Um, and so it's just kind of this gentleness and boldness at the same time coming together in there. And actually, he, it, Jesus does call himself that. He does say, the word in the Greek is used in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where he's talking about, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit. And that gentle is the same prouse, however you want to pronounce it, I don't know either, yeah. uh, in the Greek, which I absolutely love. Yeah, I mean, I think the overwhelming, I mean, you even see it in Beauty and the Beast. It's the idea that you take someone who is wild and powerful and has a lot of, you know, and can be dangerous, but also is able to use that in service of something greater. Um, You know, you you look at the character of Jesus. He had the ability to do whatever he wanted, like David said, but yet he used that power in the service of our salvation. You know, Mm -hmm. if he wanted to, he could have come down. You know, eventually when he comes back, he's going to come back on a giant horse with a robe dipped in blood, and he's going to come back with a king's entrance. Um, eventually, it says that's going to happen. But when he came the first time, he didn't do that. He decided, rather, I'm going to be born in a barn um, to a teenage mother into a poor family, a poor middle-class family. Yeah. And, you know, he could have given himself the king's entrance, but he didn't. And he did that for a very specific purpose because he wanted to reach the maximum amount of people that he could. And I just think that's, that's so incredible when you look at the character of God, the restraint that he showed and their strength that he put on himself for the service of saving us. Mm, so good. And I think he maintained his meekness even when coming back as he has the scars on his hands and his feet right there, right? It's not, he, he still has the same body that he showed his disciples that still exists there. Uh, so coming back, he's, he's still exhibiting that meekness as he comes back fully courageously. That's good. Yeah, I just thought of Philippians 2. Um, this is probably the most beautiful example of Christ's humility. It says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count quality of God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, yeah. taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of his meekness, because of his humility, God has exalted him to highest place. Um, and at the name of Jesus, the name above every name, every knee shall bow on heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Amen. Why is meekness so hard today? Wow. Um, I guess because it's not really rewarded in a sense. I mean, I think it's... Humble, I, gentle, lowly, yeah. lowly-spirited. Lowly I don't really, I don't th- necessarily think that's rewarded in our culture. I think we're, uh, we're rewarded for self-promotion, self-aggrandizement, 
you know, building your own brand. Every athlete in the world wants to build their own brand. Um, so I, I think the short answer is that it's not rewarded. What do y'all mm-hmm. think? Yeah. We live in a culture with which, yeah, um, it pays to to be popular. And I think social media yeah, is the perfect example of this. And uh, even the Christian culture, I see, you see pastors with, with 50, 100,000 followers on, on Instagram. It's like, these guys are celebrity. The, we're in the age of the celebrity pastor and meekness, gentleness, this, this lowly discipline is, is not really a character, you know, I see in a lot of, uh, a lot of people out there, a lot, a lot of celebrities out there, um, because it, people, you can become famous. And, you know, if I'm being honest, I like people knowing my name. Uh, yeah. I even like being on this podcast right now. <laughs> um, and that's just the human nature. That's our sin flat. That's our, uh, our, our sin desire or flesh. Um, but it's truly a, a quality, which as you said, is, is not rewarded in our culture. Um, and I think, you know, it saddens Jesus that, that there's so many people that are popular and, you know, proclaim the name of God, but I don't, I don't think have the heart of, of Jesus in them fully. Um, and so that's just kind of my, I have a little thing in social media and famous I, I can see that. Right that's now. okay. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, whereas Matt, I think later on, same thing uh, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, yeah. Jesus talks about, hey, go give in private, right? Because mm-hmm. your heavenly father sees that. Don't give in front of people so that you can be worshiped by man or glorified by man. Go give in private. And I think that's a, a kind of meek attitude that we need to have instead of do, how can I, how can I do things to get up on stage? It's no, how can I do things in private behind the scenes? Because to be honest, there's been millions, if not billions of Christians, I don't know how many there have been, and the majority of them are not known at all. Right, you may have a few books written by some, or a few celebrity pastors, or you, you think of Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr. Like, okay, I know this, and, and Calvin. That's like a couple, and they drop it, you know, in this giant pond of believers. This, yeah. You know, drop in the bucket, basically. And all they, they just plod along faithfully in a meek attitude, not trying to make much of themselves. Yeah, I mean, Timothy did a lot of the same work that Paul did, but Paul yeah. was the more famous <laughs> guy in that, you know, in that equation. Facts. Um, you know, and I think when we when we go back to di- uh, meekness being dangerous but disciplined i think you you often see the problem with that manifested in unfortunately kids that grow up without fathers in the home Mm. um in the united states the single motherhood rate i think is the single biggest predictor of uh incarceration unfortunately and so in communities where there are a lot of single mothers you see a lot of incarceration and i think one of the reasons for that is because young boys have a lot of aggression and a lot of you know energy but they aren't taught by a father figure how to channel that into the service of something like say, building your community or, or building a family or raising kids, they're not really taught how to channel that aggression. And so they turn to things like crime. And, and that's when you see a lot of you know, incarceration problems. And so like when, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, um, for they will inherit the earth. I, I think you know, something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago is applicable today when you're talking about incarceration, because it's, it's talking about the value of being disciplined and being able to channel that aggression into something positive. And when you don't have something when you're not able to channel that aggression, then you can just spout off in a thousand different directions and really do a lot of damage to yourself and others. Mm. Yeah. So how do we grow into that uh, as believers or somebody who's a belie- not a believer listening to the podcast? How do we grow into meekness and gentleness? I think it goes hand in hand with dying to self. Um, I think the, the desires of our flesh are going to, the more you let the desires of your flesh control your life, the less that you have control of your own life because emotions come and go. And I think part of growing up and part of meekness is being able to control those emotions mm. and to realize that emotions are real, they're just not true, and that I shouldn't be governed by my emotions. Um, and I think once we learn how to control those emotions um, and how to kind of take a more disciplined mindset, I think that's when we 
really grow into the meekness that Jesus was talking about. I don't know. What do y'all yeah. think? Yeah, I think the spiritual discipline of obscurity, um, in, John Mark Comer mentions it in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's this idea, it's not, you know, spiritual discipline, the fact that it's, it's mentioned like in the Bible or, or um, a practice, but it, it, it can be, it's, it's a it's a posture. And um, it's just this posture of, you know, I'm not king of my life. Jesus is king of my life. Like, I don't want the credit, give Jesus the credit um, in whatever platform I do have, I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus and make him famous. Mm. Uh, I, I, I am no longer my own. Uh, I live for the one who died and um, who saved me. And it's just having that posture. It, it, it is a posture of, um, of dying to self, of picking up the cross, picking up one's cross and following him daily. Um, so, yeah, it, it is to be a follower of Jesus, is to be meek. Um, and I don't think... It's weakness, though. Like you know, men as as men, we are we have something in our hearts that that's just wild and that that is aggressive and that is uh, untamable. I think that is from God. And but as you said, how do we channel that in an appropriate manner, knowing that yes, that whatever this desire is, is from God, um, but it can be used for the glory of the kingdom and not for the gratification of our flesh. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have too much more to add to that. Yeah, neither do I. That um, was really good. Overall in that. That was really good. Good, good responses there, guys. Um, and then the second part of this verse, <clears throat> I think we've knocked Meekus on the head. What does it mean to inherit the earth? I think that's a little more difficult. People read that because we have all these things. I think the second part of each one of these verses is a little bit more difficult to understand than the first part. You're like, I get meekness. I get pursuing righteousness. I get this. But like, what does the second part mean? I mean, if you take it quite literally, Revelation talks about heaven being a new, he- a, a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about a new <clears throat> heaven and a new earth. Yeah. So it says that they will inherit the earth. I, I mean, I, I think that phrase is quite literal that, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus and, you, you know, because of that, the Holy Spirit sanctifies you and then you take on a, a spirit of meekness, you know, because you're a follower of Jesus, you will eventually literally inherit the earth one day because that's what that's what heaven will be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that. Literal, I think, I don't think there's too much um, I could add to that in a non-literal sense. I agree with that little sense. I also think it has to do a little bit with the, probably the promised land um, to his his Jewish people who are hearing this at well, um, as they get to inherit all the promised land and to not have it, like not have opposition against them, not have overlords over them, like the Romans at that point, or the Babylonians before that, where they get to have Jesus as king or the future Messiah as king, who they didn't know was Jesus at this time, um, as their Lord and their savior above them ruling. And that was like, their physical promise for the Jewish people as well. That's good. Yeah, because, you know, as we know, this context, which the Sermon on the Mount is given uh, in John and Matthew 4, we see Jesus healing every disease, every affliction, uh, and his fame spread. So these people with diseases, with oppression, they're oppressed by demons, uh, just these, these people who are the outcasts of this society are, are gathered here on, you know, watching Jesus. And when he says this, they're like, can I actually inherit the earth? Can I inherit anything? Am I of any value? Mm. It's like, yes, the kingdom of God is, is opposite. It's, it's an upside down from this Roman, uh, just kind of masculine strength culture where, uh, you know, the Romans were oppressive and where honestly the Jewish uh, leaders were oppressive too. It's like, can these outcast society really inherit anything? Am I of any worth? Jesus says, yes. Hey, I see you. I see you in your weakness. I see you. Uh, in your sadness, um, your your disease, your your demon possessed, whatever it is that the that, that you feel outcast, that you're you're burdened by shame, and guess what? You still get to inherit the earth in my kingdom because I make you worthy. Hmm. Yeah, we as believers have an inheritance. 
Yeah. I think we, we talk about, um, and the Holy Spirit is a seal of our inheritance. We look at, talk about that in Ephesians, um, which is going towards the, the eternal kingdom with, in heaven with Christ. We get to spend eternity with him. And he's saying, yeah, as my followers, being a meek, which exhibits my characteristics by imitating me, by being a, a follower of myself, you get an inheritance with myself. And, and I love that because it also says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, in that, I guess what Jesus is doing, and he is the, uh, the heir to the entire universe. Like if, if he's an heir to the entire universe and we're co-heirs, as it says in Romans, or we have an inheritance, like it says here, like we're co-heirs slash our inheritance is the entire universe. Like it's actually, when you think, when you expound upon it, it's actually quite mind blowing. You're like, oh, I get to share in this? I, I didn't do anything. That's the point. Have a humble heart. The first should be last and the last should be first, as he said. Yeah. And then when you mentioned, when you talked about the Roman Empire that was oppressing the Jews, it made me think of this verse in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. And later on in that chapter, Paul also makes a similar analogy to a farmer who's going to wake up every morning, regardless of how he feels, and work the land. And then he also makes an analogy mm-hmm. to an athlete who has to get up every morning and train, regardless of how he feels. And that, that 2 Timothy chapter 2, he's just hammering home discipline and what discipline looks like inside of a Christian and that we wake up every morning, we die to self, we follow the Holy Spirit. And regardless of what I want to do, if the Holy Spirit tells me to left, I go left. It tells me to go left. I go left. Mm. A period in a conversation. I think, you know, that goes in with me because we keep talking about discipline and meekness going hand in hand. Submission to the father. And you you know, when he writes this, when he writes this letter to second Timothy, and then that letter gets read in churches all around the Roman empire, these are people that see Roman soldiers every single day. And so when Paul makes an analogy to a Roman soldier, they know exactly how disciplined those guys are in practice. Because mm-hmm. a Roman soldier, if the centurion tells you to do something, you do it, period, end of conversation. So it really resonated with his audience that, you know, there's there's a, a serious quality of discipline that needs to be had in pursuit of Christ. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love the picture of Roman soldier. I always love Roman warfare. So good things. I had Rome total war on my computer, control the armies, conquer Rome, all the area. Loved it. Um, did you ever play that game? I did not, but I do have a fun fact. Yeah, what's a fun fact? So in Ephesians 6, when Paul is talking about the armor of God, yeah. it's Ephesians 6, right? So he wrote that most likely when he was on a prison, when he was on a transport ship going across the Mediterranean. And it's not in the Bible, but church history tells us that like they would have handcuffed pe- prisoners to a Roman guard. Yep. So as he's writing that verse and he's talking about the armor of God, he's physically standing next to a Roman soldier looking at the armor that this guy is wearing. Oh yeah, he's wow. writing to you know he's in, pr- in prison in Rome. He's writing to Timothy, and it's like he has the whole praetorium pre- guard next to him. She literally changed to him. He's like, oh, I got a guy next to me. Preach the gospel. Oh, it's a rotation of foremen. Oh, six hours a day. That guy's gonna hear about Christ as I'm writing, which yeah. is really wow. cool. Which really yeah. shows me Paul's kind of moving to the second section of this. Paul's hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right, it's the second beat. The second beat here we're gonna cover. And I want you guys for the audience. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yeah. I think we got to define what, what righteousness is. It's, I think that's good. That's good. Um, I was listening to a little, little Bible project today on, on the Beatitudes, and um, they define righteousness as a right relationship between two parties uh, where faithfulness is required, um, where faithfulness is shown by one party to the other. Um, and, and Jesus is the ultimate righteous one, right, because uh, he was perfect. He, he had no sin, no blemish. Um, and, you know, I love 2 Corinthians 5. It says um, that, uh, you know, he died so that, you know, he imparted our, you know, his righteousness on us. And we did not give him anything, but now the Father views us as righteous righteous because of Jesus. So, um, 
yeah, this this right relationship, this this faithfulness to to do what is what is right, um, and ultimately Jesus is the only one that was that was purely righteous in God's eyes, and now God sees us, broken sin sinful people who who disobey God as righteous because of Jesus, and that's just wild to me how mm. we are counted righteous in, in God's eyes. That we have an imputed righteousness because yeah. of His death and resurrection on the cross that then covers us. Yeah. Um, and then hungering and thirsting for that, I would say, is in wanting to pursue to be more like him, mm-hmm. right? Because that's going to create, create more personal righteousness. Because just because you're a Christian, right, the person who just got saved and may still be in struggling with whatever it may be, um, we'll say drugs or sexual sins or lustful thoughts or whatever is like, they're, from the outside, they're not looking that righteous. But from God, they're, they're considered righteous because he's been covered by that. But inside, they still have to make that pursuit. Of, you know what, God, I, I want to put these sins behind me. I want to put these things behind me and pursue your righteousness. Yeah, and then in, in Psalm 84, it says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Mm. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. How can you put it better than that? I'm assuming David wrote that psalm. Not this David, the other David. But I th- I'm assuming David wrote Psalm 84, or, or someone else did. But I think that's a pretty good, pretty good explanation of, of what longing is like, is I am dying to be in the presence of the Lord, because ultimately that's what righteousness is, right? It's in the presence of the Lord. Um, and, you know, last week, last week I mentioned that I struggled with road rage, and I, I was thinking about, like, we were talking about, um, which one were we talking about last week? I can't remember. But last week I was talking Holy about Spirit. Yeah, that one. This part of the Holy Spirit. I don't yeah, know yeah. how it tied into the conference, but I was talking about how I struggled with the Was that morning? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I think it was because I, we were talking about longing for heaven and how you know if I have road rage, it's because I'm impatient, and the reason I'm impatient is because there's a limited amount of time, and the reason there's a limited amount of time is because we live in a fallen world. And then when I'm struggling with road rage, I'm really longing for heaven in a weird way, um, and so I think you know that longing for heaven comes from understanding we're not home, not where we're supposed to be. Yet I'm hungry and I'm thirst. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness because I long for heaven. I want to be with God more than anything else in the world. Yeah, yeah. I was reminded of Psalm 42, uh, mm-hmm. verse one, which says, "The deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you." Um, and I've had this come up a couple times recently, thinking about the the lepers in um, the ten lepers who come to. There's no passage the Bible's in right now, um, who come up to Jesus and he heals them all, right? All ten lepers, and then they go to the priest. And only one comes back. And he says, I, I healed 10. Why did only one come back, basically? And it's because, he never answers it, but because that guy, all these 10 lepers originally were all desperate for him. They're like, God, no one else wants to talk to us. No one else wants to touch us. We know that you alone can heal us, Jesus. And so they go away. Nine guys get healed. And they're like, oh, my family. I want to go see my family, my friends, all the above. And that one guy maintains his desperation. And he goes back and he says, you know what? Even without leprosy, I still only have you. And I think that's the picture of hunger and thirsting for righteousness, desperation for Christ, desperation for God, becoming more like him. Because without that, I have nothing. Mm. Yeah, and think about just the image of, of being hungry and thirsty. Like, those are not pleasant no. feelings. You know? <laughs> We're playing football growing up. It's like, when's the water break, coach? 30 minutes. Okay, I need to thirsty. Yeah, you got salt th- just forming just, on your Yeah, mouth. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever? Yeah. Uh, or hungry, if you've ever fasted, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're ready to just eat something. Um, so it's it's this just like almost uncomfortability with the present state of the world. Like we see how broken this world is. Mm-hmm. And like, Jesus, I, you have to come soon. Like uh, your will be done. Like Jesus, please um, make less of me and more of you. Like show up and, and bring your kingdom to earth. And uh, I want to go home and be, be with my dad and be where it's perfect. But while I'm here, while I'm on this earth, like I'm going to be faithful and 
I'm going to follow you and, and die to self. And hopefully that, that brings some of the kingdom here through, through each of our lives. It's one of the only quotes that the Apostle Thomas said that was actually written down. John 11. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Um, <laughs> I yeah. love that quote. Yeah. I love that. And it's, it's, huh. it was right after he healed Lazarus from the dead. Rumors are starting to swirl in Jerusalem that Jesus is on borrowed time. Pharisees are not happy. They're figuring out, they're trying to figure out ways to kill him. And it's becoming pretty obvious to the disciples that if they go back to Jerusalem, Jesus is going to die. And if they're his followers, they may die with him. And Thomas, in that moment, who we call Doubting Thomas, which is kind of a misnomer, but in that moment, Thomas is like, okay, fine. If he dies, I'll die with him. And, you know, I, I want to have the type of faith that Thomas has in that moment. And I think it's kind of that same thing that, that Jesus is talking about, who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, who are pursuing Christ no matter what it costs. Man, yeah, Thomas gets a bad rap. I know, he really. Just, you think about like changed my view. He, he followed him faithfully Tom. to think about it, and he went unto death. Like, just he had this one little section where, like, oh, I got such a doubter. But l- let's be fair; yeah. we all would have done the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, maybe some, I'm maybe gonna, like very few of us, but we all would have done the exact same thing. I probably I said think. something similar to my brother, like, I don't believe it until I see it. You know, kind of a deal. That's what Thomas is doing. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And then Jesus comes and shows it. He's like, okay, now I believe. Yeah. Which is done. It made me think of Peter in John seven, where God Jesus is saying, "I'm the bread of life," and like all his disciples leave him except for the twelve. And then he says, "Are you two going to leave me?" And G- Peter says, "To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, right? There's no, there's nothing else out there. You have the words of eternal life, and that's the idea of pursuing this righteous. Like, there's nothing else that matters in that. And the second part of that is finding true satisfaction. What does that mean? It says, "For you will be satisfied." I guess uh, you're satisfied in the only thing that's never going to expire, which is the relationship with Christ, which is the eternal life Dude, that he's spam, promised. Spam never expires either. Like the the canned meat? <laughs> yes. Neither does honey, actually. Yeah, actually, honey doesn't. Sorry, it was just uh, that's what I thought of immediately. Does spam really not expire? It lasts for a very long time. I'm sure it goes bad at some point, but it's so processed that I think 100 years later you can eat it. That's disgusting. Anyway, um, the only thing that matters is Jesus and the eternal life that he's bought and paid for. Uh, on the cross. And um, yeah, I, I think that's the only thing that'll ever satisfy. That's the only thing that'll ever fulfill is that relationship. No amount of money, no car, no house, no relationship. Nothing will ever even come close. Yeah. Yeah. And as you, you know, when we get the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit makes us uh, satisfied and we can be completely satisfied because we have God living in us and, and we will never be fully satisfied in Jesus, be, you know, on this side of eternity because of our, our sin nature and um, just the, the presence of sin here. But, like, since the Spirit of God lives in us, he is, he is renewing us. He's making us like Christ, and that's his job. And uh, it's it, I think what Jesus is saying is, a, hey, like, you can be satisfied in me. You, you know, and that's the goal. Like, we'll, we'll never mm. get there. But it, it's it's possible to that's what we're we're reaching for and um, just to, to follow him wholeheartedly and uh, again die to self and to live as Christ to die as gain. It is a sanctification along the way. That's what I'm on. saying there, right? We are we are satisfaction comes justified. We've been justified before God as, as Christian believers, and then we have a sanctification process, and like we become more and more satisfied as we go through that. But it's not until we ultimately are with Him in heaven where we have full satisfaction and full acquittal of all our sins inside of that. And once we separate our sins from our self fully being his presence, that's when it's like, oh, now I have 100% satisfaction. I think of being like on the opposite side of that, someone who doesn't know him, 
who is going to be in, we're going to say, hell for eternity is never going to have satisfaction. It's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth and other negative things are going to be happening there. On that bright note, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any, have a great any, any, any final remarks or closing thoughts for audience here? Well, uh, everybody in Russia that's listening to this, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, <laughs> to, uh, give, to give context, Neville said that we're like this podcast apparently does well in Russia. Ah, hey, come on, Dimitri, thank you. I think Vladimir. <laughs> yeah, true, Mr. Putin. If you're listening, <laughs> please you. don't invade Ukraine. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, I had a quote from Helen Keller um, that I saw today, and it's it was talking about extraordinary things and extraordinary things, which kind of goes along with our first section here being meek. She says, I long to accomplish a great and noble task. I think we can all agree with that. But it is my chief duty and joy to accomplish humble, humble tasks, I'm going to say meek tasks, as though they were great and noble. The world has moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. So those little, those little meek, those little gentle movements forward, they come together as aggregation and they make leaps and bounds for moving everyone forward. Just a final remark for you guys. Good way to put it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening today. Stay classy. Do I have to do a sign-off line? You have to do a sign-off line, bro. I never do a sign-off line. Have a good week. Okay. We out. Ciao, bellos. We thank out. you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.